Welcome, everyone. Today, I have the honor of introducing Father Timothy Gallagher. And for those who don't know him, Father Gallagher is an author of over 10 books about Ignatian spirituality. He is a retreat master. He's a speaker and just someone that I have come to admire over the years. He has the, I guess, the great gift of being able to break down an essential foundational truths of our Christian life. And when I read how he explains St. Ignatius's rules for life, I just, it brought so much clarity to my life, to mm -hmm. my spiritual life. And I am just so excited to have him share just those insights and to walk through those 14 rules, because I, I promise you, once you learn them, things that maybe confused you in the past or that you constantly stumbled over, you'll be able to see exactly what's happening. And so thank you, Father Gallagher, for joining us today. And yeah, I would love for you to just share a little bit about yourself and and what led you to be, be a student of St. Ignatius. Well, thank you, Valentina. Well, um, I entered my religious community, so I'm a religious priest a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, who are dedicated to Ignatian spirituality and the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And so that's how I initially got into this teaching of St. Ignatius. But um, it was a conversation a few years after ordination with one of my classmates who had gotten into this that opened my eyes to the fact that there's a lot more here than I realized. So I began systematically studying these rules and then hesitantly giving little half-hour talks during retreats to people. But what really drove this was the response. i never forget the first time I shared it. A uh, small group, but we all knew when the retreat was over that something important had happened in the transmitting and receiving of this experience, of this uh, teaching, these 14 rules. So what really has uh, driven it, never something I planned, is just that people keep wanting more and more and more. And eventually my superior asked me to put this down on paper as a book, and that's led to the subsequent books and to what it has been a full-time ministry now for oh, at least 20 years uh, that I've been doing this. What keeps me doing it is that there is so much discouragement, you know, in people's hearts. And now that's something that human beings always deal with. But in our own time, obviously, there are uh, particular reasons why that is increased. You know, think of COVID, the culture, politics, and, and so forth, all of this. And so a teaching which is simple, clear, and practical. In the original, it's only 1,231 words. So that's about three and a half double-spaced pages. That's, that's how long this teaching is. But which goes to the heart of things, brings clarity in our confusion and shows us how to move beyond discouragement, what St. Ignatius calls spiritual desolation, is if it's always valuable, it's increasingly so today. And so it's it's such a privilege to, to share this teaching and to see, uh, to use Jesus' words in the synagogue in Luke 4, to see captives set free. So that's what it's really about. Yes, absolutely. So for those who don't know, can you share a little bit about the life of St. Ignatius and what led him to discover, essentially, these rules? Until the age of 30, now he never doubted his Catholic faith, but his life was kind of like an Augustine story. You know, he was pretty far from God. And uh, then in battle, when he was 30, a cannonball shattered his right leg 
he had uh, three surgeries and a long convalescence that took maybe seven, eight months. And uh, as time began to hang heavily on him because he couldn't get out of bed, you know, he asked for reading and uh, his sister-in-law gave him the only two books providentially that she had. And one was The Life of Christ and another volume, A Volume with Lives of the Saints. And so he, he begins to read these and uh, notices something happening. Uh, some days he'll spend up to four hours just intensely engaged in thoughts of how he's going to win the heart of a woman whom he doesn't name, in all likelihood the younger sister of the king, Catherine. And then from the reading that he's doing now, intense engagement in thoughts of living, well, what if I should live like the saints, Francis, Dominic? Uh, why should I be less heroic than they than they were? So you have this succession of two very different projects of life going on as he lies on his convalescent bed. And then the day, the moment that changed everything for him, and which he describes so simply, you could just go right by it in the account in his autobiography. He says, until one day his eyes were opened a little. And what he notices is that while he's thinking about pursuing this woman who in practice is unattainable to him, uh, it, it, there's delight, energy, enthusiasm, but when he lets the thoughts go and goes on with the day, his heart is always empty and dry. Something feels un, unnourished. Uh, there's a lack of peace somewhere. Whereas when he's been thinking about living like Francis and Dominic and the other saints and goes on with the day, his heart always remains happy. And Ignatius being Ignatius, he now wonders, well, what does this mean now that he's noticed this pattern? See, that's where the discerning life will always begin, just beginning to notice what's going on in our hearts and in our thoughts. Well, it doesn't take him too much thinking to realize that a set of thoughts that are engaging while he's thinking about them, but which always leave him empty, that doesn't have the feel of where God's leading in his life. And another set of thoughts that are engaging, but always leave his heart happy, that now does feel where God is leading. And so he acts accordingly, um, leaves everything, um, makes a life-changing confession, begins a life in imitation of the saints, which eventually leads him to the sanctity that we know and the blessing that he has brought to the world. So from that, Ignatius learned that much can change in our spiritual lives when we are aware of the spiritual experience that's always going on in our thoughts and in our hearts, when we take time to reflect on it until we can understand what's of God and not of God, and then we take action accordingly. We firmly set aside what is not of God and equally firmly embrace and follow, pursue what we now know to be of God. And if we do that beautiful thing, well, two things happen in the spiritual life. One is that like Ignatius, we take a rich step in growth and personal holiness. And then secondly, also like Ignatius, in our own vocations, we become agents of renewal in the church. And that's, as I say, Valentina, that's what keeps me uh, talking and writing about it. And that's why I'm grateful to you now for giving me, an, you know, another opportunity to share this. Well, that was a very good explanation of St. Saint, of Saint Ignatius's life. And I remember once I watched on forum.org, if anybody has access to that, there's a really, really great film on his life. And just, I remember that scene of when he just became aware, just exactly as you described and I'm just curious, what can you give an example of modern day what that might look like? Sure. Um, let's say there is one of us listening now or sharing this conversation 
who, as he has gone through the past year, has felt a kind of heavy, he or she, you know, has felt a kind of heaviness. It hasn't stopped him, hasn't stopped her from being faithful to Sunday Mass and uh, prayer, maybe confession, but it's weighed on on him, on her. It's just sort of uh, a sense that something isn't right in my spiritual life, but I don't know what it is. And then the day comes when he sees it, she sees it. And that's liberation because now they're free to take the appropriate steps to move beyond it. And let's uh, flip it around. Here is one of us who in the past year has been feeling God closer than ever and new energy and prayer is more alive. And he and she are taking new steps to grow in the life of the church and the sacraments and in living their vocations. And they love the goodness of what's happening in their lives. And they sense that somewhere in this, God is calling them to live more deeply, the call to holiness within their vocation. But they don't know what the step is. And then the day comes and God can use all kinds of instruments in this uh, through the something said in a homily, through a reading of scripture, through uh, receiving communion and the Lord's closeness and light and love through the words of a spouse, whatever it might be, then you see it. And that's, again, that's liberation because now the person knows what uh, to do about it. I can give another example if, uh, if yeah, that's okay. Yeah. All right. Let's say here is a woman who, um, let's say her children are old enough now so that she teaches part-time in the mornings at uh, local high school. And let's say she works with students with disabilities. And today her husband is at work. Her children are still at school. She'll pick them up within an hour or two. And she uh, drives back home and walks into the kitchen early afternoon. The house is quiet. There's nobody else there. Normally at this time, what she does is she'll get a cup of coffee and she has her Bible there. And she she prays a psalm. She chooses one of the psalms that she loves. And she'll spend 5, 10, 15 minutes as her heart is moved this is her quiet time after the activity of the morning and before the busyness that will start soon when she goes to, to pick up the children. But let's say that um, last night at supper, there was a tense conversation with her daughter that didn't really resolve very well. And uh, she didn't sleep all that well uh, last night. And this morning, one of the students was completely out of control. It was just very discouraging. And she sits now at the at the kitchen table there with a cup of coffee. And in front of one hand is the Bible, and nothing in her now feels the energy to pick that up. And there's the phone in front of the other. And everything in her would like to just pick that up in her loneliness and discouragement and call a, we'll call her a friend. But she knows that when they talk, and the friend is always willing, um, it's going to get gossipy and it's going to cycle downward Um and everything in her now feels the, the desire to do that. Okay, it's this kind of situation that Ignatius wants to help us from. So if she does pick up the phone and put it down 45 minutes later, what's in her heart now, you know, as she goes to pick up the children and go on with the day? But what if, and this is Ignatius' fifth rule, she recognizes, you know what, I'm in the discouragement of spiritual desolation and this is no time for me to change anything that I plan to do spiritually. And with a bit of courage and God's grace, she picks up the Bible and prays, let's say, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? 
and puts down the Bible 15 minutes later and never picks up the phone. Maybe she does some tasks that need doing and then goes to pick up her children. You see, it's on this day-to-day level, which is really the big decisions in our life are not very many. Almost all of the spiritual life is precisely on this daily level. And we're always making these kinds of decisions. What if we could make them with our eyes opened a little to recognize, you know, what's what's going on spiritually, understand it, and then take the appropriate action in response to it. Uh, Literally, it's life-changing. I've seen this in people many, many times. So one question that comes to mind is, what if someone hears this and like, okay, great, I want to be aware, but how do they become aware? Like, how do they cause like become aware of their own thoughts and what's happening because like you said most of us just sort of go through life just from one activity to the next we don't actually pay attention to what's happening internally so how can someone become more aware yeah that's a good uh lead-in um let me just ask also i'll just reverently ask this question of anybody listening what was in our hearts and thoughts as we awoke and rose this morning How much do we even notice? What about the last six months or the past year? And what can happen if we can begin to start noticing? So that's a great question. I'll just uh, offer some suggestions in response to it. I think a good place to start is by learning Ignatius's 14 rules. Because until we do, we don't really even know what we're trying to be aware of. We don't have a language for it which is why that woman at one o'clock in that situation, she'll never talk about that probably because she doesn't even know what happened or doesn't have vocabulary. Ignatius will give that to her, which makes a huge difference. So I'd say start by learning these rules of St. Ignatius. They're spreading like wildfire. They are more widely used among lay people now than I think I can confidently say ever before in the history of the church. Learn them. Uh, the tools are there if you want. I'd be happy to mention the, the resources at some point if you want that I've yeah, created sure. that, that can help do that. Um, and then just learning that, you're going to find that already you're going to begin to do this. If you can find another person, uh, what if you could talk about this with your spouse, you know, or with a, a close friend or a group of friends? A woman once told me these were all married women, uh, young mothers, most of them. And every Saturday, they'd get together for brunch. And it was just fun to be together. But they all knew that at a certain point, they were going to start talking on this level. You know, it was just very uh, encouraging for them. And I know of one married couple uh, that uh, have uh, gone through this, uh, learned this together. And they have an arrangement that if one is struggling, like the woman at 1 o'clock, she'll text her husband. And he'll text back, and they'll be praying together for this. And they'll be talking about it. So I'd say learn the, learn the rules. See if you can find a way not to be alone with this. Yeah. Um, and then you're on your way. One other thing I'll mention that can help. The more we, because grace, that's a principle in the spiritual life, that grace presupposes and then builds upon and perfects nature. So that whatever is happening just on the human level in our lives has much to say about what's going to happen on the level of grace, on the, on the spiritual level. The more we develop just the natural contemplative capacity, uh, the more uh, easy, the more space there will be for grace to help us to become contemplative, that is, aware, on the spiritual level. I love to see people just sitting in front of a fire, you know, just looking at it, 
occasionally talking. One of my priest friends is a bird watcher. You know, I never thought there was much to it until I started <laughs> seeing some birds. And But I realized what he was doing. It's contemplative, um, listening to beautiful music, just being out in the quiet with nature. There's so many different reading. You know, there are so many ways in which we can develop just the natural contemplative capacity. And the more we do that, the easier it will be on the spiritual level as well. But the starting point, I would say, is it's like if you want to play baseball, you start by learning the rules of baseball. You can't do much until you know the rules. Learn these rules. There are 14 of them, uh, and then you'll be in the ballpark. Yeah. So I want to really, really recommend this book, if you guys can see it. Um, it's called The Sermons of Spirits in Marriage, and it's by Father Gallagher, and it's Ignatian Wisdom for Husbands and Wives. So when we got married this summer, a friend of mine sent this book to oh. us as our wedding present. And oh, I was so thrilled. <laughs> Thank you. And I was so thrilled because I have read, uh, I always defer to your books as the, by color. So your purple book <laughs> on discernment of spirits. And so I was really excited to see this in the context of marriage. And one thing I love about the book is that each chapter is on a different rule and you use just like everyday examples of a specific married couple. And so my husband and I went through that and we just finished mm. the book recently and it was just really, really helpful. I mean, I had been familiar with the rules, but he hadn't. And so you're right, it has given us a common uh, language to begin to describe what's happening spiritually. So, yeah, so thank you for writing this. <laughs> mm. um, you know, the, the, the nicest thing, well, what you've just said is about the nicest thing that I've heard oh. you know, in response to the book. But I'll put on a parallel with that. Um, a woman who uh, wrote a review of the book, and I forget where I saw it. Maybe it's on Amazon or maybe it's in, in email somewhere. But uh, what she said was that she and her husband went through the book together. And she said, now we're speaking on a level that we never spoke on before in our marriage. Aww. Because just as, as you said, you know, now you have a common language and uh, and way to understand this experience, you start recognizing that it's happening all the time, but now your eyes are opened a little and you can notice it. And when a husband and wife can walk together uh, in you know this journey of spiritual awareness like this, it's a very, very beautiful thing. You know, uh, I speak to people in all vocations, but in marriage, there is a way of being accompanied that is only found in marriage. And your spiritual companion is right there in the house with you. And one of the things uh, where that's possible, it's um, maybe it's the best thing you can do, you know, to try to live in the way that we're describing. Um, that'll be Ignatius' 13th rule. Don't be alone with these struggles, you know. And very beautifully in marriage, you have a way of doing it that's lovely. Absolutely. So, Father, if it's okay with you, can we go through some of these rules? Sure. Okay. So, Ignatius's first rule, and let me go to the page. Um, so, if you're following along, if you happen to have this book, which would be great. Um, and is it, do you mind if I read it? The first sure, rule. Okay. So, the first rule of St. Ignatius. In persons who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is ordinarily accustomed to propose apparent pleasures to them leading them to imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses a contrary method. 
stinging and biting their consciences through their rational power of moral judgment. Okay, can you break that down for us? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do this very succinctly, but uh, please don't let me forget to mention the resources where people can find this uh, done more in depth. Well, the first thing to clarify there is these two actors in the spiritual life. So there are three actors in everyone's spiritual life. There is the individual person, and then there is what Ignatius calls the good spirit, which is his way of speaking of the Holy Spirit, you know, who works, God who works in the hearts of his children, uh, together with uh, God's work, all the influences that are from God and directed toward God. So the good angels, the uh, richness of grace infused in us through baptism and good influences around us in the world. So Ignatius puts that together and speaks of the good spirit, God and all of those influences that are from God and directed to God. Mm-hmm. The other actor is what he calls most commonly the enemy. So I'll use that word. And by that, it's just the classic uh, triad from our tradition. So Satan and his associated fallen angels, then the woundedness as a legacy of original sin that's called concupiscence, and then harmful influences around us in the world, the which if we open ourselves to them, will pull us away from God. So Ignatius uses those, these are the two actors. And what he asks in this first rule is, well, how will these two actors work? In a person, think of Augustine before his conversion or Ignatius before his, anyone who is far from God and living a life of serious sin. And the enemy will fill the imagination with images of sensual pleasures because as long as the imagination is so filled, the person is likely to pursue that path, which is what the enemy wants, obviously. The action of the good spirit Uh, I think in that very book I describe as God's loving assault on the heart. The good spirit, Ignatius says, stings and bites. So um, let's say a man who hasn't been to church for 20 years and is living far from God and in serious sin is driving home from work. He and his wife had a huge fight the last evening over some trivial issue, and both of them knew it wasn't the issue, but it's what he's been doing to their marriage. And he's alone in the car, the the cell phone is off by God's grace, the radio is off, and as he's driving, the memories of that difficult, ugly scene the last evening come up, and the thoughts now start to arise. What are you doing to your marriage? Why have you made your wife suffer so much? What are you doing? What what kind of a father are you? What are your children going to think when they learn someday how you're living? Now, you can see there's a stinging and a biting. That's what I call God's loving assault on the heart. And if the man is at all open to this, he's not far from his return to the Lord. You know what? I got to talk to my pastor. He calls, he makes the appointment and things go in a different way in his life. God loves us too much ever simply to let us go. And I'll just add one more thing here because we could go on a great length. (laughs) There are 14 rules. If any of us, and I say this with great reverence and sensitivity, if any of us ever in his or her life has been in that situation, You look back now with deep gratitude on that trouble of heart that never gave you rest, that stinging and biting God's loving assault on the heart, because it was precisely that loving assault that brought you back to the Lord to the much happier situation where things are now. Yes, absolutely. I just think over my own life when that that stinging voice would say, oh, really, that's not a good choice. And then when I would listen, I'd say, oh, my goodness, yes. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from myself. (laughs) But then the second rule, though, is a little bit different. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. 
So Ignatius starts in the rules with the person the farthest um, possible from God, but very rapidly as he gets into the second rule and from then on, he's speaking to the kind of people that are most likely to be interested in what he's saying. And I'd say uh, I would... I don't know the the many people who will listen to what we're saying now, but I could almost surely say that if you're listening to this, it's because you're trying to live this, the beautiful situation that Ignatius describes in the second rule. And that is Augustine after his confession, Ignatius uh, conversion, Ignatius after his conversion, this um, business married businessman after he returns to the sacrament, any person who sincerely does not want sin. Yes, the just one falls seven times a day. We're, we're all imperfect, but sincerely does not want sin and wants to love and serve the Lord and grow in that love and service. So Ignatius asks in the second rule, how will the enemy and the good spirit work in a person in this happy situation? So now I, th- I think I can confidently say he's speaking very directly to everyone listening. Well, now, because the person's uh, direction has reversed, the action of the two spirits likewise reverses. Now the enemy is trying to hinder this growth toward God. So the enemy will try to gnaw at the, let's, let's take the, um, let's take the, the, the married man we just spoke of. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's now, um, six months later and he's been faithfully going to mass. Uh, there are deep wounds in his marriage. But he and his wife know that with real struggle, but things are moving in a much better direction now. And there's more peace in the home. He no longer has that anguish place in his heart. And he he just loves what's happening in his life. There's a kind of joy, and he wants more. Maybe he starts going to the monthly men's prayer breakfast, and he meets other friends like this. Some of them go to daily mass. He's never even thought of that, but he begins to do that and likes it. And uh, things are moving in this direction in his life. And at a certain point, he starts to feel, I don't have the same peace and joy that I used to experience in his spiritual life. Now, if he's not aware of what's going on, Ignatius calls this the enemy's biting, just gnawing at the peace, not trying to move him initially to sin of any kind, because that's the last thing he wants now, but just trying to strip away something of the peace and joy. Now, if this man doesn't realize what's going on, he could very easily succumb. Yeah, it was nice for six months, but you know yourself. You know you get these enthusiasms. They never last. Don't think anything's really changed in your life. And if he believes that, then he's very likely to relinquish the whole thing. So you can see this really matters. Um, The enemy will bring sadness into the joy that was in his spiritual life. The enemy will present obstacles, and he might hear it, or any one of us might hear it like this. And so you can ask yourself, as I put words to this, have I ever heard this? Uh, You want to let that thing go, which is not good for you spiritually? You want to take that new step to grow spiritually? Make your efforts, but you know yourself. You know it's not going to last. You get these enthusiasms. It may go on for a week, if you're lucky, a couple weeks. But you know you can't live without that you know you'll never have the courage to take that new step in prayer or in service or in your marriage. Now, every one of us, beginning with Father Gallagher, has heard those voices. So I want to say once, uh, but I want to say it very emphatically, there is no shame. So I'll repeat it. There is no shame in experiencing 
these discouraging lies of the enemy. It is simply what happens when we live the spiritual life in a fallen, yes, but redeemed and loved world. What does matter is to be have our eyes open. Okay, so the man, let's say he sits at his uh, desk in his study at 10 p.m. The house is quiet, the children are asleep, and his wife maybe also. He's uh, normally prays now for a few minutes uh, at this time. Maybe uh, maybe he prays night prayer from the liturgy of the hours and then makes an examination of conscience. But things have been difficult at work. Uh, there have been tensions here and there, and he's kind of discouraged. And all of these thoughts are there. Look at you. You don't even want to pray tonight. You thought you were spiritual. You thought you were making progress. What a mess. What you really want to do, if you're honest enough, is pick up the phone and you know where that can go when you do it, when you're feeling like this, this time of day. Now, if this man's not aware of what's going on, does not understand it simply for the discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy that it is, and succumbs to it and does pick up the phone, we'll say, and puts it down an hour and a half later, what's in his heart as he retires? What's in his heart as he rises to start the next day? But what if, and this is where all the rules go, what if by God's grace, and as I say, with a bit of courage, he's able to say, wait a minute. I love that in the spiritual life. Wait a minute, because that's the beginning of awareness. He's noticed something. You know what? This isn't right. And he's not using formal Ignatius language. This is a tactic of the enemy. But that's what he's saying. This isn't right. And you know what I need to do? I need to pray the way I always do at this time. And picks up the book of the Liturgy of the Hours, makes his exam- and never touches the phone before he retires. Now what's in his heart as he retires and as he begins the next day. So these are the, the enemy will attempt to discourage in this way. We all experience it. No shame, no surprise. Be aware, understand, reject. But what I love about these rules is that the final word for Ignatius is always grace. So the last word is never the enemy. Look, the enemy and this good spirit are real, but they're not equal. The enemy is of a higher order than we, but still no more than a fallen creature. The good spirit is the infinite, omnipotent, infinitely loving, close, and present God. So that, that this is a whole spirituality of hope. So let me say this. I mean, it just comes to my heart right now. If there's any one of us listening who has been living in that kind of discouragement, I may say it reverently, maybe maybe even at great length, maybe for years, and has felt that I don't think this is ever going to change, then know beyond any doubt that God is calling you to freedom from that. Jesus did not come that you and I might be held captive to these discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy. He came to set captives free. And that's what this whole set of 14 rules is about. So the good spirit will also work in this man, giving him courage and strength, uh, inspirations. You know what? This is what I need to do. I uh, you know I should probably go to that men's prayer breakfast. You know, why don't I try going to a daily mass and let's see what happens. Uh, consolations, which Ignatius gets to in the next rules, when our hearts feel the joy of God's closeness and love, and then easing and taking away the obstacles. It isn't that hard. You can do it. Many others had the same humanity as you. They've done it. You know, okay. So that's, the second rule is such a beautiful rule that I've actually written. In a, it's a small book, but a whole book dedicated just to it. If a person just lived out the second rule, mm-hmm. that could change so much. And what is the name of that second book? I mean, of that book. Uh, it's called uh, When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life. 
when you struggle in the spiritual life and ignition path to freedom. Let me say one more thing here. Now, there are 14 rules, so I doubt we're ever going to get to all. This was something a woman told me that I've never forgotten. She, a very good woman, very dedicated to the Lord, just, just a very fine uh, Catholic, living uh, a very good life. And she told me that before she learned Ignatius is ruled too, she thought that that voice which said to her, you're not living the way God wants you to. You fall short in this and in that. You don't pray very well. You're too self-indulgent. You, uh, you're never going to really be much of a disciple of the Lord. She thought that that was God's voice, and which told her the truth about herself. Oh, no. And when she learned from Ignatius, no, that's a lie of the enemy. And the appropriate response is to reject it. It just opened up a whole new spiritual life for her. These are the kinds of things that keep me teaching these roles because they can do this in our lives. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's, wow. That's really great that she was able to hear that truth. Because the enemy is so sneaky, and he says it in such a like subtle way that it's like, oh well, maybe maybe that is true. Maybe I am not really trying hard enough, and the discouragement can get us down. But but recognizing, like you said, that the way the good spirit works when you're moving towards God is always one of of consolation and, and encouragement, not of <laughs> criticism. No, no, absolutely right. So. Since we won't be able to get through all of the 14 rules, and I will link to your website where they can learn more about the resources. But I, I do want to ask you, out of just your life as a priest or the, and in your experience interacting with so many people, what rule or rules has impacted you the most or even impacted other people? Mm-hmm. So I'll mention uh, three of them. Um you know what we can do? I don't I just with a single sentence summarize the rules so people at least have heard them. Yeah. Uh, in rules three and four, Ignatius describes the two basic spiritual experiences that we want to be aware of and understand and uh, take action in response to spiritual consolation. The times when our hearts lift up with a sense of God's love and God's closeness, and there's a joy and energy in that. And then spiritual desolation, which is uh, simply a tactic of the enemy. And that's what I've been describing in these um, scenarios I've been drawing. And that is a heaviness of heart on the level of our spiritual lives. When we don't feel God's closeness and there's no energy for spiritual things and um, just feel like what's the point of making an effort and so on. No shame in experiencing that. No surprise. Be aware, understand, in this case, reject. So my own conviction is that for most good people, and if I may reverently say this, that's going to be pretty much, I think, anybody listening to this conversation, the real obstacle for most of the way in the spiritual life is spiritual desolation. When we get discouraged and we can get start giving up and pulling back in small and maybe bigger ways. The other tactic of the enemy is temptation, you know, deceptive suggestions. You can let yourself see that. Why don't you let your prayer go till later? And we do have to deal with that. But I think for most dedicated people who really don't want sin, you know, with all of our human frailty, but are very sincere in this, the main obstacle is when we get discouraged, when we experience spiritual desolation. So I hope that anybody, um, there won't be anybody listening. You know, 
I'll say it this way. I've been actually teaching these rules for close to 40 years now. I began in the 1980s, I think, uh, to do this. And um, I have taught and shared these rules in more places than you can imagine, in more um, educational, cultural, ethnic backgrounds than you can imagine. I have never yet found one person who said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Everybody does. And you can see Ignatius is not adding anything to the spiritual life. What he's doing is, for most of us, and I'll include myself for the first time, helping us to understand what's always been happening. And now that we understand it, we can take the appropriate action in uh, in response to it. So that's why I'm pausing on uh, Rule 4 in Spiritual Desolation, because essentially what Ignatius does in the remaining 10 rules is to give us the tools that we need to be aware of, name, and reject spiritual desolation, which is one of the greatest gifts we can be given if what I'm saying is true, that for most of us, that's the real obstacle in the spiritual life. Rule 5, this is one of my favorites. If you know you're in spiritual desolation, don't change anything that you'd plan to do in your spiritual life before the desolation began. So this is a woman who has on the calendar to go to confession at 4 p.m. on Saturday. And then we'll say the tense conversation with her daughter, the difficulty teaching, the discouragement, and prayer slipping, and just kind of just doesn't feel energy for spiritual things. Saturday morning comes, and she remembers 4 p.m., and she finds herself saying, you know what? Maybe I'm not in the best shape to make a, uh, a really fruitful confession today. I think I'll go next week. Okay, is she in a time of spiritual desolation? She is. Is she in a time of spiritual desolation thinking of changing a spiritual plan that she had in place before the desolation began? She is. Whenever the answer to those two questions is yes, Ignatius says don't ever make those changes. So I hope... And those of us listening will take these eight words and never forget them. This is the way Ignatius says it literally. In time of desolation, never make a change. You know what? I'll say them again, and I'll invite those listening. Say them out loud with me if you'd like. In time of desolation, never make a change. Let's do it once more. In time of desolation, never make a change. Those eight words of themselves will get you safely through almost any spiritual darkness you may ever encounter. Rule six, four spiritual means to help us reject desolation. Rule seven, some thoughts that will strengthen us in desolation. Rule eight, the key virtue in desolation, which is patience and remembering that consolation is returning, will return a lot sooner than desolation wants us to believe. Nine, uh, three reasons why a God who loves us permits us to undergo desolation because there are three different kinds of fruits that will come when we go through it faithfully. Rule 10, you can prepare for desolation even before it begins. And the number of suggestions on how to do that. Rule 11 pulls it together and you get the mature, the portrait of the mature person of discernment. That is humble in the joy of consolation and trusting in the difficulty of desolation. In the last three rules, Ignatius highlights three qualities of the enemy's temptations and how we can undo them. So rule 12, stop the snowball at the top of the mountain. That is, it is easiest to resist temptation right in its very beginning. If you do that, you never have to deal with a snowball halfway down the mountainside. Rule 13, uh, I'll put that together with rule 5. If 
you observe rules 5 and 13 together, you'll get safely through any spiritual darkness you may ever experience. Rule 5, don't make changes in time of desolation. Rule 13, don't be alone with the burden. Find a wise and competent spiritual person and speak about it. And then rule 14, we all have a place where we are most vulnerable to the enemy's uh, temptations. No shame in that. That's just our humanity as we go through life. Identify it, strengthen it, and wonderful things happen in the spiritual life. So that's a rapid summary. And you asked which rules would I um, want people above all to remember. I'd say rules 5 and 13. Don't make changes in desolation. Don't be alone with it. Find a wise and competent spiritual person and speak. Yeah, those are two essential ones. As you were speaking, one came to mind, and I believe it's rule 10. If it's not, please correct me about how to prepare for consul- uh, how to prepare for future desolation because it will come. I remember once listening to a talk that you gave and you explained that when you're when you're in a time of consolation, to accept that, to receive that, to thank the Lord for it, to just bask in it. But then knowing that again, that desolation will come, but to imagine that you're in a subway and with the subway, you can hold on to the little <laughs> strap at the top. And so when you know the, the, the stop is coming, what do you do? Like you put your feet apart and you hold on tight in anticipation. And so you recommend, or Ignatius recommends praying for the grace for when the desolation comes to be able to overcome it. And that image has just stuck with me. And so I think about that and I do that when I'm in moments of like, Lord, oh, thank you for your love and your presence and your encouragement. But I know <laughs> that we're in a spiritual battle and that like, like this won't last. So please give me the grace when times get difficult. So I just want to just thank you for that, even that simple example that you gave. Well, that comes from my uh, seminary days. I did my uh, seminary in Rome. And um, if anyone's been to Rome, you, you get on these buses. And they're, they're really crowded. You never get a seat on them. <laughs> and they go around a lot of curves. So that's where that image came. You know, if you... As the bus is about to go into, let's say, a sharp curve, yeah, as you say, you, you get your stance a little more firm and you, you grip a little firm and you just sway a little bit. That's all there is. But if you're not looking ahead and you don't see the sharp curve up ahead and the bus goes into it, your grip slips, you go sprawling, your briefcase hits the yeah. floor of the bus and spills open, you tear your, you know, the elbow of your sweater and so on. It's not life or death, but it's a lot harder to get over it. So that's Ignatius' point. If um, we can serenely know that life is not with perfect symmetry, but in every well-lived spiritual life, there are times of spiritual consolation when we feel God's uh, closeness and love. They don't last forever. They will in eternity. But in this life, they are graces that God gives uh, as he knows we need them. And then we'll also at times have to deal with the enemy's discouraging lies and spiritual desolation. And we can just be very serenely aware of that. No shame, no surprise, but it does matter. Have our eyes opened a bit, be aware, be able to understand and name what's going on and then take the appropriate action, accepting what's of the good spirit, rejecting what is of the enemy. Yeah. In the book, and I think, I don't know if I did it in the talks, but I give about 10 concrete suggestions for how you can prepare in the joy of consolation for the eventual return of the desolation. Would you mind sharing some of them with us? Well, the four things that Ignatius says to do when you're in desolation, that's rule six, 
you can do when you're in consolation, uh, preparing, storing up. You know, here's my image too. Uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, seven years of plenty, he stores up grain that he doesn't need. But in the seven years of famine that follow, it makes all the difference. It's, it's, uh, allows them to survive. And it's kind of that dynamic. And the, let's say it's a week or a few weeks of consolation and with God's closeness and energy for spiritual things. Pray for strength when desolation returns. Do the kind of meditation Ignatius calls us to. Um, maybe for this person, Philippians 4.13 really speaks to her heart. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And so she gets that right at her spiritual fingertips. Reflect on uh, the reasons why a loving God permits us to go through desolation and the fruits that he wants to give us if we go through it well. And that's Ignatius Rule 9. Think back on your own life to times when we all know that sometimes it's the dark times in our lives that have most helped us to take the best steps we've ever taken in our spiritual lives. And so there's a reason why God permits that at times. And if we have that sort of fresh in our hearts, when the heaviness of desolation comes, it's not going to throw us as much. Um, Choose a set of ways in which you'll keep the rules fresh in your consciousness. And I've seen people do all, of course, the, the starting point, as we said earlier, is to learn them. And maybe I should mention the resources. Um, yes, please. Um, so the the purple book that you mentioned is titled The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living. And that book will is the teaching on the 14 rules put onto paper with one chapter for each of the rules. There is this newer book that you mentioned, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage, Ignatian Wisdom for Husbands and Wives, which relates the rules to um, the married vocation. We mentioned the little book, When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, An Ignatian Path to Freedom, which is not a bad way to just get your feet in, wet in the pool, you know, to get started. On the web, I've done a series of podcasts. I think there are 16 half-hour podcasts in which I go through the teaching. And that may be what you listen to, Valentina. Yes. Um, Yes. And you can find those, just do a web search for my name. All of this will come up. But they're also on any major platform. They are originally on a lovely Catholic app called Discerning Hearts. That's all great stuff and worth getting to know. But if you, it's a free app. If you download it, tap on Spiritual Formation. I'll come up, tap on the box where I am, and then you'll have access to all of these different series. Um. Yeah, you, you can find them on iTunes, Google Play. It's on Formed if anybody has that. So they're very easily uh, accessible. So those are some of the resources. Yeah, and I definitely want to plug, just like you did, the Discerning Hearts app. That just has such rich content. And if you're interested in learning more about Father Gallagher's thoughts, um, even um, Venerable Bruno Lanteri, I actually went to a retreat that you gave. Well, it was an online retreat about him uh. and and that was very insightful. And you had one on on there on Lexio, not Lexio Divina, but uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. When I started to pray that, I listened to that to just get an understanding of what exactly mm. am I praying. Um, wow. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful that you're uh, exploring these things. Uh, so, yes, there, there, is, there are probably more podcasts there than you'd want to listen to, but there's 
quite a variety of, a variety of them at this point, and that is really a wonderful app. Uh, everything on there is sound Catholic spiritual formation. Well, Father Gallagher, thank you so, so much for your time. And I would just like to open it up. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you're like, ooh, I really want to share this? Well, I'd say, given what we've said, I'll, I'll say two things. And the first is the most insistent. Uh, and if you already know Ignatius's 14 rules, as you do, Valentina, if you already know them, you know why I say this. If you don't know them and you do learn them, you'll understand why I say this. If you've listened to this conversation, please learn the 14 rules. It will be some of the best time you have ever spent in your spiritual life. And it will reveal to you, for most of us, as I said earlier, for the first time, what's always been happening in the spiritual life, which permits a whole new energy and freshness and progress and growth and hope as we live our daily spiritual life, which is so important today. And then uh, the second thing I'd say is... Um, Find your own way to keep the rules fresh. Uh, that's something I deal with under Rule 10. But I, as I said, I, I've seen people do a lot of things. There's one woman who taped, printed them out and taped them on the dashboard of her car. You know, I've oh. seen people do, uh, people send uh, reminders on their phone. So there's a two-week cycle every day. One of the rules comes up and it repeats. There are all kinds of ways that uh, that you can do this. And if possible, don't be alone with this. Is there anyone you can talk to about this and uh, progress on this path? I recommend this out of, as I've said now, almost 40 years of experience. You won't be disappointed. I, and yes, I can't echo that enough. Yes. <laughs> when I learned these rules, and like you said, the repetition has been very helpful. It's just provided so much clarity in my spiritual life and even hearing you describe them again it's brought even more insights like oh okay this happened yesterday that's that was the solution taking place and i needed to reject it and okay now i'm more aware for the next time so yes these rules are so practical and they will make a huge huge impact on your life so even if you don't buy the book still learn about the rules but i do highly recommend this book even if you're not married it's just a very good, clear, concise description in a very, yeah, it follows the life of a couple. So it's just interesting to read. Well, I'll, I'll just add that it's always a little embarrassing for me to speak of my own materials, but there is a reason why I I wrote them or said them. I think there's a content there which can really help. Yes. Well, thank you again, Father Gallagher. And You're very welcome. May God continue to bless you and your work and to provide even more opportunities for you to speak and share it with others. And also rest, too, because that's important. <laughs> <laughs> and may, may he also bless you and the work that you do. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And remember, when we say yes to God, we change the world.